the Protect Your Neck Podcast, UFC 257 Breakdown, picks, plays, and whatever else comes our way. This is the Protect Your Neck Podcast, and I'm your host, Dan Tom. Analyst is work you can find over at linemovementandmmajunkie.com. But on this year's program, the Protect Your Neck Podcast, we break down high-level MMA. That's what we're going to do here today, tonight, whenever you're listening to this. Hopefully it's before the fight. Recording this just an hour or so after weigh-ins. Was going to record this prior last night, but was too tired, woke up, and it was a good thing because the weigh-ins were a mess. We've lost some people. Uh, some people have... We've lost gorgeous George. Now we've we've lost Nizre Hake Press this week on Hack. Um and Otman Azatar, I don't know if uh, you know, uh he, he tuckered himself out <laughs> throwing gasoline around but uh, hitting the gas too early. Uh but I don't know, man. He uh didn't look like he had a rough weight cut that was shared on an Instagram IG story in all seriousness. Hope he's okay. Um and uh just a, a kind of vague medical statement release, which will probably be cleared up. Uh, by the time this gets out, so I don't want to get too into that. But a fight was salvaged, which I will break down as Armin Sarukian, uh, who weighed in three pounds heavy as I sit my coffee. Oh, the best part waking up is cancer fights in your cup. Um, and and he'll be feeding. Uh, he'll be facing now Matt Stevola Frivola. Uh, yeah, expecting to be favored there. I guess we'll get to that, even though that kind of, you guys probably already know where I, I am headed there. Um, but thank y'all. Uh, again, check the show notes for when the very quick recap of UFC on ESPN 20, which we'll do first, um, ends, and the breakdown UFC 257 from top to bottom begins. And of course, if you want to even spend less time with my voice, even though I, I you know, I, I will say, for, for the amount of fights and covering and, you know, not just, you know, the in-depth or doing it for free or all that stuff. But um, I've been doing pretty good on time, I will say. I'm not I'm not going too far over an hour, if at all, even when they're not expedited editions. Doing a little better on that end, too. Uh, although this week you kind of have no choice. And, again, it was good because now you're going to get an up-to-date breakdown. Um, and, again, a time-sensitive uh, one. Um, I, I've been trying to be very conscious of and doing, I dare say, a pretty good job. So um, hopefully that's been working out for you guys. I know these breakdown podcasts tend to die in the vine. Got a sweet top five coming to you next week. I know I've been bad about booking those. I'm, I'm really bad behind uh, on, on the guests that I'm getting after. Um, and so, uh, yeah, but good news for you guys is, again, more, more, more uh, of the better content because I, I love them top five shows. They last longer, right? Uh, coming your way, but for the breakdowns of the degenerates, I love you, and uh, we will be getting to you uh, right here. Um, but feel free to leave those five star ratings and reviews to help support the show. It really does help uh, for you know for a show that you know. Um, again, I over, I'm, I'm already over the weekly mark for 2021 over overall. Uh, all free, all will be free, all will continue to be free, and uh, continue to be doing my homework, crunching my time, in order to help uh, help you guys in this quiet corner. The <laughs> analytics have been a little depressing to see how many people actually do listen to the show. That being said, like I, I legit talk to a lot of you that do, and it, it does seem to help you guys, and y'all seem appreciative of it. And man, does that mean the world to me. So thank you who are here. That being said, it really would help if... if Anyone wants to, you know, whether you want to spread it on the social medias at the PYM podcast, give it a follow, give it a share. I'll retweet, I'll share on the IG stories, however you will, uh, at the PYM podcast. All social feeds will not pollute your feed, by the way, or overpopulate it. Um, of course, at Dan Tom MMA for links and where I'm most active via social media, as most of you tell if you've ever tried to message me on the old Facebook or any other Instagram or. So on and so forth, uh, but thank you, thank you, thank you uh, for uh, 
just, yeah, those of you who, who continue to support, listen to the show, and if there's another way, aside from sharing, that you'd like to support the show for free, I mean, of course, there's always the PayPal link and donation link on MixedMartialAnalyst.com, but below those, for free, you can always click through if you're going to buy anything from Audit, like kettlebells or uh, hemp or, uh, you know, all, all that fun stuff, um, or if you're going to click through Amazon, I know corporate, you know, it's not the funnest thing, and I'm not a big fan of the the Bezos or any of those those peoples, um, obviously, uh, but we all kind of have to use it one way or another, and, um, you know... Just like these fights, we wish the employees got treated better, or at least I hope we would think that. So if you want to ease your conscience like me, who thinks clearly way too much about um, things, um, and help the show and kind of kill two birds with one stone and ease your own conscience about purchases, uh, yeah, go ahead and click through MixedMartialAnalyst.com before you go to the old Amazon and give your money there, a small percentage of your sale, no extra cost. We'll go back to this show, and I guarantee you it will be used doing some graphics and some other things. Uh, hopefully this next week that I will be catching up on. Really quickly, those of you who clicked since last week, someone bought a gear. This is my like my new favorite segment, which will be really quick, by the way. Someone bought a gear light LED tactical flashlight. Why is everything tactical these days? Like, is it like, is it lightweight? Can you swing it just as fast as you can shine that light? Shine a light in a dark area or club a minority tactical flashlight. <laughs> I'm just kidding. By the way, folks. In case you're first time listener, this is a person of color making the joke. Uh, sorry. <laughs> uh, someone bought an OtterBox iPhone case. Yeah, those things are pretty heavy duty, right? In case you drop them, you know, maybe you're being assaulted by an L- L- a tactical flashlight. You drop your phone, you <laughs> you're all good. Uh, maybe that's the same person who bought that, and I shouldn't be joking about this because they're they're planning something, and <laughs> I don't want to be on the other end of it. I also shouldn't be joking about that in this country now, right? Jeez, Christ! Wow, Dan, wait. <laughs> these Amazon, you could, you could tell why I love these Amazon reads. They're gonna go in a lot of different directions. Someone bought compression socks. That's really good. Um, after hearing like stories of like Ricardo Lamas and like all these other people with like clots and seeing like how fast they can travel up and like, yeah, I know it's like a low percentage thing that I don't need to, to freak you out on that I briefly freaked out on and was like, yeah, compression shocks uh, help. And um, I actually got to order some more because the ones I ordered after that little scare <laughs> have like holes in it. Um, let me click on these ones. Oh, those look way nicer than the ones that I bought. Good on you, sir or ma'am, whoever whoever bought those. Um Quest Nutrition High Protein Bars. There we go. I think that's uh, that's our keto-friendly friend there. I, I, I stock up on the bars too, man. They're lifesavers, especially when you're a poor planner like me uh, when it comes to eating. So good on you. This one's funny, man. Someone bought um, Punisher Blu-ray DVD. Now, I'm not hating on you. I'm just saying it's funny because I don't even think I've seen this version, by the way. It's like the Thomas Jane. Uh, I think John Travolta's in it too, right? <laughs> Uh, Jesus, uh, but uh, I actually just watched the other night. I don't ever watch anything, but I, I I put it on to go to sleep, and then sure enough, I watched the whole damn thing. But I watched the old school Punisher from the eighties with uh, Louis Gossip Jr. and uh, Dolph Lundgren. I don't know why I said like Stallone's voice. He's gonna just pop up in the show. Hey, Dolph. I don't dance is creepy, but yeah, Dolph Lundgren with the dark hair. I love that Punisher man. It was it was super dark. It definitely doesn't age, you know, the greatest. I don't think it passes the Bechtel test. <laughs> not, not not the most sensitive to women. Um, a lot of violence. Um, just you know, a simpler time. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, so whoever bought that, not hating, but I do suggest check out that, and you, you could probably find it for. for for free somewhere, not that I'm suggesting you do anything illegal, but if you do do it the proper, continue to do it through the Amazon link, thank you. But whoever bought that Punisher DVD, go check out the old school Punisher. And if I'm off here, um, y'all tell me which one you think is better, at Dan Tom MMA. So thank you uh, for those of you who clicked the Amazon link. Um, on it doesn't provide an item description, um, so I don't do that here. And don't worry, it doesn't tell me who bought it. So if you're buying like Ultra Vibration Max 5000, your secret is safe. Uh, your item will probably be read and commented on and pontificated upon this show. All right, moving on to the to the recap. UFC and ESPN twenty. We did we did pretty good. If I 
if I must shmay, uh myself. I think we did a 11 and three overall, three and one in straight plays, 0 and one in props. Um, officially, of course, you know, there's little things here and there which I'll, I'll actually own up to uh, because uh, those things were L's. Um, but as far as what I officially gave here, we did good. So hopefully you did good. That's the that's the gist. Um, Michael Kiesa defeated Neil Magny. Um, I ended I did end up playing this kind of like I told you did did well. Um, I think it was like two and one on my main plays there from line movement and here. So I went ahead and sprinkled on that Kiesa, and uh, sure enough, it happened uh, kind of like how I predicted minus the no finish. Um, it became a question of cardio, and in that sense, I was really impressed with Kiesa being able to, you know, kind of do that kind of a performance for for that long, get those championship rounds for the first time against a guy like Magny, who can kind of turn tides, right? Um, however, I, I wouldn't, I was, wouldn't go so hard on Magny and was defending him in the sense that, like, people were surprised, but, like, Magny's... He's gotten better at jabbing, and, but he's never been, like, the most consistent jabber or, you know, uh, process on the feet. It's always been kind of like a back-and-forth affair, kind of like that's the nature of his grappling, too. It's a very... It can be very give-and-take. Um, less obvious, it's more inconsistent than give-and-take, whereas grappling is much more give-and-take, but there's still there's still some crossover there, I'd argue. Um, and so in that sense, you know, like Magny's always in scrambles against the cage, and that's where Chiesa fights too. And you really just got to be better than Chiesa at it or a better wrestler. And Magny wasn't. That's why I picked Chiesa here. But that's also why I picked Kevin Lee versus Chiesa back in the Dizze because when it came to controlling hips and getting the backs, Kevin Lee just did it a little bit better, and he did. Now, if the fight went longer, who knows, right, after what we've seen of them since. But um, the each fight played out the way it did, and even though I didn't predict the exact ending, um, I was fairly right. Uh, not because I have a, a supreme beat on Chiesa. I've gotten plenty of its fights wrong. Um, but... It's uh, some, sometimes it's just a stylistic thing, you know? And, and, and I, 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 that's what I try to tell people. And I know it's a lot to drop on people um, if they're not familiar with the sport. But it's something that needs to be reminded because there's even people that are familiar with the sport or do similar jobs like myself. And not enough of us talk about stylistic matchups. Um, obviously, more than the technical analysts do, like myself or, like you know, heavy hands guys or fight site guys right but like in general it's it's you know it, even people that have been in the game for a minute talk about things like you know oh you know it's you know fading things like you know we'll talk about connor like oh you know the bottom's got to drop out sometime and i'm guilty of that too so i'm not trying to be holier than thou here um i've make made and will probably still make these mistakes tenfold right but this is just a general reminder for me and many yourself everybody right that this game is a game of matchups. So it's hard to mute the hype and the recency bias and the odds and what everybody in your Twitter feed is saying. Um, but those things can really work against you. And although things can change and guys can go in there and fight against style, and that is pretty much how I lose most of my bets, right? I always joke like it's bad luck, but it's no, it's because I pick a, pick style. So whenever a fighter actually smartens up and changes their style specifically for a fight and goes against what they've been doing, that's when I'll kind of eat shit the hardest because you really look at it and that, even though I give it full credit when it happens, it, it really doesn't happen a lot because oftentimes, not to be too reductive or at the risk of being too reductive, fighters are kind of who they are. And if you're in any of this job, whether it's analysis, betting, whatever, you want to try to find out who these fighters are so um in this case i just kind of felt that this was just a matchup pick so yeah man the, the dog the dog played out um now to prove that i'm not holier than that i'm gonna eat shit right now in this next fight because i didn't not only was i wrong and went with the hype but i didn't listen to the stylistic things worley alvis defeated munir lezez tko body kick and punches um now the line opened closer, and whether it was on here or on the betting show line movement or my betting sheet, I did state that, listen, at the, the way the public went and ran with the Lezez line, the value is now on Alves. Um, that being said, you know, I still played Lezez when, when he was lighter, uh, light, and, uh, you know, that didn't go through. Uh, I had him in, like, a couple, I think two 
parlays. Um, and again, thankfully, I don't put a lot in my parlays. And thankfully, when you want to fade a guy like Worley Alves, it never costs a lot because either the line is inflated, which it will go back to being. Worley's been getting disrespected by betting lines, but now that's going to go watch. Everyone's going to overcorrect the steering wheel. Odds makers to supporters alike. And the good thing about fading a guy like Worley Alves, it doesn't cost you that much. Because, again, I went round three. That was the only one prop that missed. Um, and and that's how that's the angle you want to take on a guy like Worley Alves. Now, even before the fight happened, uh, I, was, I was a bit nervous because Al, Alves looked like he was in great condition. And then he comes out there, and he's just fighting, like, back to his old self. And that was something I said where, again, I should have listened to myself, where not only did I say that Alves was live, but I was like, Dude, if somebody goes to Lizeza's body, like that's going to be the key to getting this guy. He leaves it wide open. And the problem is, Alves has been kind of a headhunter, and that's how he's been gassing himself out. He's not. He hasn't been throwing like the body kicks like from the tough to Alan Joban days, where he was really spamming them. I guess he got back with Pedro Hizo, and really got to work with those. Um, as we, as you saw, it's like fuck. You listen to my podcast, bro, and he looked great, man. And um, I'm I'm more upset that the fight didn't go longer than to be on the wrong side of it because I actually thought Alves I I man I've given him a lot of shit but I got to be able to you know I obviously give give everyone credit when they deserve it and I got to do that to Alves here man he looked really good and I wanted to see more of him and even though I'll have my chance to fade him again no doubt um that being said like I got to be honest man I got to be careful about the next spot cuz I, I I honestly want to see more um, to see if we get a nice second win of this guy. Maybe he changed something that legit or not legit, you know. I mean, not that Horley Alves uses drugs. He's a bug above that with his fucking outdated 1992 promo. You want to fly, you got to buy drugs. Hey, kid, you want to fly? Like, what, what is he still, like, watching that shit? Like, like, meanwhile, like, props to whoever tweeted me that. I retweeted you in my account. But <clears throat> he's got fucking garden hose guy from X-Gym. You know, who probably, uh, you know, didn't do Andy Silver or anyone else too great in that department. But, you know, yeah, let's just, <laughs> drug culture, man, it's so backwards. And you know what, it's not, I'm not, it's not even going to hate on Worley or Brazil uh, coming from my country where, you know, we're on drugs and our silly shit and we're only now, you know, finally getting better with marijuana and our policies, which are still not fully, you know, the way they should be. Um but yeah, that's just. Uh, uh, anyway, so that was just you know, and I'm like, oh my god, okay, fine, Worley, you know, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna make me look bad here. You're gonna you're gonna come through. Now you're gonna now you're gonna hate on the on, on the devil's lettuce. Tisk tisk, sir. Cannot defend that. I don't think you can. That being said, congrats to anybody who cashed on Alves. Um, that line got inflated way too wide. Um, so, uh, good on ya. Isaac Villanueva defeated Vinicius Mojeda. Uh, KO punch. Was really happy for Ike. Felt like he got gypped to these bonuses. And like I was telling my man, uh, Nolan King there, uh, who you should follow on Twitter, at MMA underscore Kings. He, um, agreed to, but it was just like, you know, these bonuses. I know they're for developmental and you're investing in a career. And like, whether it's the eye test for Ike Villanueva to Umar Magomedov, like it's obvious who's got a higher ceiling. With that being said, it's just, it's such crap, man. It's such crap. There's a lot of politics on this one, so I get it, but they make questionable bonus decisions all the time, and I try to give them credit and props when they give it to the undercard guys. But, like, you know, give it to the, you know, the, the, these journeyman guys like Ike Villanueva who busted on the regional scene and, like, show up so you can, you know, have some warm bodies on cards and taking knockout losses to his brain. Uh, he's got fucking, sounds like, at least three kids to support. He's been through a lot of shit. Sounds like a hardworking company man who's going to just go out, fight hard, say nothing but good things for your company. It is, you know, you're, you're, you're already getting the bill fitted by Abu Dhabi, like, Come on, man. This is another, from the Joaquin Buckley, you know, complete different circumstances as a fighter, but it's like there's all these opportunities to give either the right guy money or give them more money because they genuinely deserve it. And I'm not seeing that, man. I miss those days, man. I miss that version of Dana White who, you know, disagreed with a decision and then would go and not just bonus both men, Campman and Sanchez, but would bonus, bonus them both like 100 k 
you know, for some fight that went on, like, I don't even think it was FX or a major channel in, like, Kentucky. And Dana White was, like, dishing that out. Like, what happened to that dude? Now he's out here. He's focused on, like, you know, getting streamers and shit. Like, I don't know what the fuck is going on, man. Um, or And I know it's not just Dana, or maybe Dana has very little to do as far as the bonus decisions. So I don't want to be unfair there. But just in general, I, I give credit, you know, fuck God damn, do I give credit to the UFC. Uh, I wrote bad timing on the Dana White thing. Like a couple of podcasts ago, I I, uh, <laughs> I give credit to the production. And then like as I release the podcast, Dana White releases that anti-media video. I'm like, you know, we try to be nice. <laughs> and then, of course, as like I was on like the Fight Side podcast last week, and I hate referencing myself, but when it's relevant to whether we're talking about like a Mike Chandler or someone like I've trained with or whatever, or just like... You know, head trauma, Spencer Fisher story, or this or that, like, you know, I, I've seen it firsthand in others, and I've experienced things firsthand myself, um, so that's, it, and I bring it in a, I at least try to in a self-deprecating way that's, the grander point is the pointing to the fighters and paying respect to them, but then you got, you know, Dana, you're going, you know, I was, my boxing experience or whatever, like, I didn't know that, you know, context I'm, I'm blowing that out of, out of proportion right now but yeah it's like jesus come on man <laughs> every time i'm trying to level fucking <laughs> my, my timing with dana dana white is not great anyways uh but i don't know if it's him or not so i don't want to just keep piling on the, here but like whoever's making the decision on the bonuses man like freaking please you know like pay these guys and with the umar namaga madoff thing you know who beat sergey morozov who did more than oil and gas, obviously. Um, bachelor's degree in oil and gas. Um, and it was a, one of the few, you know, few finishes on, on the card, or, you know, uh, you know, or one of three finish, few finishes on the undercard, I guess. But that was just for Khabib, to pay respect to Khabib, because obviously Khabib is not coming back. I think we figured that out by now. Um, yeah, I called it before any of this announcement stuff went down. I told on Aaron Bronstetter was on his pre-show, and he asked me, I said, it's a dog and pony. It's, it's a big dog and pony show. They're trying to appease their investors in Abu Dhabi. That's all this is. It's a big dog and pony show. And if you read between the lines and how everything's played out before, I don't think that I'm wrong. And you read between the lines, he's like, you know, he's just trying to make like, look, look, could be here's a bonus for your guy. And it's just crappy because it's like, I don't, I don't know Umar's personal, uh, the adversities he went through, what his bank account looks like. And those things perhaps would not fit what I'm about to say from a stereotypical perspective. And I don't mean to sound ignorant and I apologize if I do. But I think it's a pretty safe assumption that that dude's path has already been paved and, pa has already been paved and paid for, which does not happen. One of those things do not happen for most MMA fighters. They got to earn it the hard way. Um, but these guys' paths are, are paid and paid for. Um, and I won't get into or speculate how, but that's just a fair assumption. So to see that guy just, you know, and he's already skilled too. And like all these, like the guy doesn't need any fucking help and has all the help in the world. Does he need the fucking bonus? Like that was just such obvious pandering to Khabib. Um, and in... And, and and it's their own politics. It's not our perceived stuff. I mean, this is easy to just see and call. And these are the ways, again, that the UFC was, was able to win people over and fighters' loyalties over. And I know there's backroom discretionary bonuses still, but between, again, speculative, though, all these court documents are coming out to back say different, but it's like... Part of that, it's like, okay, if, if, as much as I want to champion that you're, you're going above and beyond and giving them extra money, it's like, it's not more than the bonuses, and those things are, you've only been stingier with, and I don't know, I'm going on this rant now, and it's just, eh, anyways, but I, I just, yeah, uh, picked that to happen, but tough to watch Roxy take that. Uh, Matt Schnell defeated Tyson Nam, split decision, uh, no issue with the scorecards. Uh, I leaned 
truthfully leaned Chanel 29-28, but I felt like it was closer than the commentary was calling, and not picking on commentary, uh, love everybody in that commentary booth, but, you know, you gotta call it like it is, and, uh, you know, there was a lot of that Louisiana bias, which I figured would be, like, I was researching Chanel before the fight, and I go to everyone's Instagram like I do, and, like, it's like pictures of DCs like posing off with Chanel and like Poirier going Louisiana boys represent and I'm like, wow, there's no bias there. <laughs> I'm sure that won't bleed through. Um, and then, but even though that is kind of the truth there, um, uh, I, I I will give the broadcast team in general a, a break because by the end of it, you could tell how delirious they were and there's actually some funny moments on that post-fight show. Um, and then I would record two shows later that day after already doing a pre-show and watching and live-tweeting an entire card. And by the end, which was the Fight Site Show sh- staff pick, shout-out to those guys, I was delirious as all hell. So I was like, oh, I get it. Okay, I'm not going to... I'm not going to... I'm going to peel back. You know, I'm not going to... I'm very understanding of why the headspace was of the commentary booth. Um, that being said, you know, and the commentary, again, that stuff influences, and I think... A lot of people were influenced by that um, because most of the people who like more of the technical side of things or like break down the action side of things were saw the fight as closer. Now, again, um, I think only two outlets scored it for Junkie and Sherdog, although <laughs> my outlet was getting called out. Um, I, I honestly don't even know who was scoring or, uh, that night. Um, but, you know, I don't I don't blame anybody that, that scored that for Nam. There are people in my mentions that said they scored it for Nam. I picked and bet Nam, so I was definitely biased. But even I um, leaned Schnell and was totally fine. Like, could totally see how the judges got there. Um, but, you know, again, stats don't tell the story of the fights. But kind of like I said, Nam was lending a lot more body and leg work um, and, and countering in the exchanges. But um, Schnell had the volume and had hunting and styling points for sure and uh you know he did do damage you know uh but the funny thing is that the damage was all done literally like in the first half of the first round and it never got any worse so it was like uh, anybody counting that damage in other words in round two or round three is like hanging their argument for it's like that damage was done in round one and the fact that it didn't get bigger the fact that nam is a guy who barely gets cut or shows damage so it's like okay it's really good for chanel but at the same time like Okay, the next 13 minutes of the fight, you weren't able to add on to that, but still win the fight. Now, I obviously scored it for him, but again, there is a there is a point to be made there, right? So, uh, more close to people give it credit for, and I just hate the word clear being used, and it's nothing coming at anybody. It's people um, I respect, man, uh, on, on, on all sides of things, you know? Uh, that was just something from all from this fight or other fights, and, and many people, people I respect, friends, colleagues... Uh, it's just one thing that I don't like about, I guess, <laughs> the betting thing is that, like, whether it's, like, uh, you know, the casuals that are, are betting on their biases and just yelling at everyone's mention, not realizing, like, that either, A, they have a bad take, or, like, saying, like, just really, like, some people were just saying, like, really, so, someone told my homeboy, to, like, to go kill himself or something, like, over some take. Like, I'm like, dude, what is wrong with you guys? Like, there is just some stupid stuff that goes on. Um, and then, but even like the best of us, right? Like when we do, you know, win bets, that's why I make it a point not to do victory laps. Like, boy, people don't know how to win. (laughs) And I've said it like, even with these fighters too, you know, with these, like, you know, always finding ways to be salty. Like who did it this card? I forget who was the, uh, who was the Monzo di Chirico of this card who like, you know, has every reason to be happy and is going to use his media th- thing to just, like, shit on somebody or something. Like, like, what the fuck was that all about? I think Chanel actually had a little bit of that, too. Like, he was, like, incensed. Uh, and then, like, you know, DC kept saying, even on the post show, like, it was clear. It was clear victory. I think DC was even saying, like, all three rounds for Chanel. Clear. I'm like, it, first of all, it wasn't clear. It was a close fight. Um, and we could argue on that all day, but there's one thing you can't argue on is that you should not be using the word clear when it goes to the judges' scorecards in MMA. I think we all can agree on that. So that was my kind of grander point to kind of just have everybody cool and chill the fuck out. Everybody, winners, losers, both alike need to chill the fuck out because that's the one thing in the betting world is, is the winners can be just as annoying as the losers. And I know... I'm I'm weird, fucking. I'm not my team versus your team guy, so I'm that automatically makes me a fucking weirdo and contrarian. And I know it's not 
most people's opinions. I'm in the minority. I get that. Just saying, would it hurt to have a, <laughs> have a little class, a little understanding? And on the other side, you know, not, you know, saying mean, life-threatening, racist, sexist for, you know, those of you who come at the ladies. Like, can we just chill out on all that? Fucking Christ. Sorry. <laughs> I did really good on this card. I'm in a great mood, by the way. It's like, I just, these things, just they just bother me. Leon Murphy, Leron Murphy defeated uh, Douglas De Silva de Andrade by decision. Um, I'm glad I didn't uh, fire off on an angle there because I suspected that it could go to decision. Omari, a Durka Durka Jihad, Ahmedov, defeated Tom Breeze, who just <laughs> was a weird performance, but I'll take it. It's kind of the reason why I played Ahmedov. Uh, was one of my favorite dogs. Shout out to James Lynch, who also liked that one as well. Um, on the betting show, and I know uh, my man Dan Levy, I think, liked that one as well. Ricky Simon Vato defeated Gaetano. What would Brian Boitano Perello do by a submission arm triangle? Sue Maderji defeated Zaruch. Zaruch. Zaruch is not on the floor. Adashir. Um, Dolce Lungyambula defeated Marcus Perez. Uh, it looks scary a little bit there. Like, is this guy going to overdo his cardio? But uh, again, man, just like that other crazy guy, uh, that Georgian guy, um, you know, it got wild in the first round, but a sign of a good corner, man. man I'm not just biased for my boy, but Eric Nixick, man, he's able to calm these guys down, get them on that freaking game plan, get them, get them fighting high percentage. And, man, Eric comes alive in that corner, man. He, he's a... Uh, he really did, did good there. And shout out really to the other corner man, Dewey Cooper and um, the other gentleman. I don't know his name. But he lost his mother, and he found out, like, the day of the fight. And they kept it secret from Eric and Dolce um, until after the fight happened. Um, I mean, to sit on that kind of tragedy, like, just a sacrifice of emotion to your fighter, it's like... Like... You don't understand, like, I barely have any experience being around, much less coaching and cornering. And whether I was in practice with the guy leading up to a fight or the very select times I was back there as corners, you at least should, and maybe I'm, I'm more obviously more of an empathetic dude, so I, it's a little easier for me to key in on, but you should be really conscious about your fighter's feelings. And their psyche. If you're having a bad day, you gotta shelve that shit. Because the focus is on them and you don't wanna disrupt their psyche, you gotta give them your attention. So like to have something like that, losing your freaking mother, and then you're still sticking to the mission. Like, holy crap, man. Massive props to that corner there. Um and 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 obviously, yeah, <laughs> the money I put on Dalcha it definitely didn't hurt, so uh but that's not even secondary. Um, props to the corner there. Francisco Figueredo defeated Jerome Rivera. Say there, Mike Davis defeated Mason Jones. Told you all that fight was going to be good. I'm glad I stayed away from it. I didn't bet live even. Uh, I didn't check out the live line, but uh, that fight went very similar to how I said. And um, and again, man, um, closer than most people give it credit for. I know the damage on Mason Jones was bad, but you really look at who... You know, it looked like the tie was turning a couple times there, and uh, I uh, don't disagree with the scores of 29-28 Davis, but, man, that was a fun fight, and you got to give credit to Mason Jones. Umar Nurmagomedov, of course, defeated Sergey Morozov. Talked about that. And Mena Firio defeated Victoria Leonardo Leonardo, who looked like the girl from The Breakfast Club. All right. 33 minutes. Geez, a little long there. Sorry about that. Got some topics that, even though I didn't... Not very news or hot take. Not that I'm trying to do that. Believe me, I have enough takes that cost me work. But you know, there was uh, some things that uh, I wanted to talk about in there as well. So, yeah, we're gonna go jump over to UFC 257, headlined by uh, Conor McGregor versus Dustin Poirier. Two Conor McGregor minus 290 favorite. A little bit of money came in on Poirier to tighten up the line. Plus 245. Of course, it opened a lot closer. And the Sharps and the, just everybody and their mothers jumped heavy on McGregor. 
And um, as much as I want to be contrarian or fade the guy, I don't blame them. My in-depth breakdown is up now, as it always is, on MMAJunkie.com. Plenty of McGregor content. Talked about some pathways on the Fight Sites podcast, as well as uh, some betting angles on the betting podcast. We'll talk about all that here. Uh, basically, it's the narrative of, oh, how much, who's improved more? Well, I've already feel like I've covered that. Um, with my MMA Junkie article that listed a lot of stats, plus uh, baseline tendencies and whatnot. And now I don't know what I'm more upset with, like watching everybody who like clearly, like you know, cribbed from that article, and then like, you know, uh, not that I expect or will ever get you know, shots for like those things so much, like publicly, you know, or anything. Because to be honest, that's what it's there for. Like back in the day, like, um. I think I even, like, when I first started doing this, like, in 2015, I think I, like, I messaged Brian Stan. I was like, if you ever need some crib notes, here you go. Because that's what my breakdowns do. Uh, you don't have to do read the in-depth part. Like, I offer staple info. I offer a supplemental section. And each of those offer all of these baseline stats. Um, and, um, but, like, yeah, or if I get more upset of people just kind of running the same boring, tired narratives... You know, where's Connor's head's at? The silk sheets, you know, I get it. Um, basically, though, in that article, I surmised that Poirier was the one who, in fact, improved more. However, um, however, it was uh, baseline themes and problems that I see still remain. Now, I expect him and Hooker, by the way, we'll get to that, to fight a bit more cleaned up. I think those guys in the small cage... That matchup, that time in their lives, all those things just really made it an unavoidable war. Uh, I would not be surprised to see either of those parties fight a bit more tightened up um, in their prospective matchups that they have in front of them. Uh, Poirier's side of it, though he did still show, uh, again, these baseline themes. Uh, fast starters, and Hooker is not necessarily the fastest starter, but Poirier does seem to start a bit slow, right? Um, fighters who can counter, fighters who can compete with him in the grappling range when Poirier does decide to take it there. You know, Southpaws. Um, obviously, Poirier's two knockout losses come to Southpaws, and even in fights like against Jonathan Brookins back in the day or Jim Miller, where he tried a kicking game plan, which people are calling for here. We saw that backfire on him. He got hurt in both those fights in different ways. So Southpaws have not been the most forgivable matchups for Poirier on the feet, despite being technically 3-2, and two, I believe, against them overall, as I don't even know my own stats. I'm just, like, fucking shitting <laughs> on others. Like, yeah, good job, Dan. Um, But, yeah, like, uh, so <laughs> it's kind of just funny. He's like... I don't know, I, I, I put too much in that article, and I feel like I kind of wrote myself into a conclusion, but really don't feel any different now that I, it is fight week. And even though I want to see a war, and if it gets out of two rounds, Poirier's chances does increase. And But I also give Conor McGregor much more credit than a lot of people do to win this late. Because, one, one of the big fights you know people don't talk about, or if they do, they don't mention the point of UFC 202, his lone rematch, right, where um, he was, where he used actually leg kicks that played a crucial role, right? Conor McGregor is the better kicker. I didn't check it out, but shout out to Aiden from the fight site, who I'm sure did a phenomenal breakdown and won't uh, regret me saying that when you go check it out on the fight site's YouTube channel about McGregor's kicks. Um, I also talk about some of those tactics in my aforementioned article. Um, and, and McGregor does his homework, man. That's kind of what the, that showed me. Not that he's fancy or diverse or so much of those things, but that he does his freaking homework um, when it comes to that stuff. And the UFC 202 note and back to the pace note and why I think McGregor has a better chance later is because in that fight he showed he was able to change his pacing against another southpaw there um, and another striking heavy matchup. Um, but I also don't think it'll be at an arduous pace if it goes to the later rounds. The reason is, is because, first of all, I, I don't think Poirier is going to um, kick as much. I know there's rumored his, hip issues and whatnot, but you really just don't see him kick as much, and if he does, it will be leg kicks 
And again, let's not forget, Conor McGregor could do those too, which was my previous point. Um, the other basic adjustment people are going to call for is, is wrestling pressure, make it a dirty fight. And the thing is, Poirier, as much of his improved wrestling as American Top Team has offered him throughout his career, he really still doesn't shine unless he's got guys corralled up against the cage. And that's where Conor McGregor does his best, um, he works best from. Um, or not works best for much, obviously, but like as far as like takedown defense, like he's very competent from the cage. He knows how to use it. He can stall there, like in the Diaz fight, to get his break. And he's better there than most people give him credit for as far as defending, um, defending takedowns. And obviously, his open space defense isn't too bad from what we saw him do at least early in round one um, with that chaining nice exchange with Khabib Nurmagomedov at two twenty nine. So I think. Um, that if Poirier wants to push that, it's going to be harder in the big cage, much less to get a guy like McGregor there. He's going to have to give a lot, which means he'll probably open himself up to counters. And I don't think he's going to do that early against a fresh McGregor who can counter him emphatically. So if you tie all those into what, what I really think his main adjustment could be, would be slowing the fight down to get it to the later rounds. Also, it would be, which coincides with slowing the fight down to getting it to the later rounds, is countering the counter fighter, uh, particularly with the check hook. You know, Connor can pinpoint hit straight uh, down the center. Uh, even though Holloway throws with more volume, those guys, more often than not, they can curve their shots around the guard. Um, a lot of straight lines coming from them in general, right? Whereas Poirier... He has those really hard check counters that I look for that Cater didn't have, which is why I didn't pick him against Holloway. Um, but Poirier does have. Now, I didn't see that ahead of time because I picked Holloway against Poirier. I was on the wrong side of that one. But Poirier did teach me, a very, uh, remind me, I should say, of a lesson there, those those check counters and how useful they are in a style. I mean, uh, look at guys who aren't uh, as great as strikers like Luke Rockle, but he had that. What did he have? He had that check right hook. How much mileage did that guy get out of that shot? It's a very stymieing shot, right? And Poirier has all that in spades, plus a fully fledged boxing MMA striking game, right? So I think you know, waiting back, fainting, you know, which obviously you can always say about anybody, much less Poirier, you could keep calling for it, would obviously help him here, and maybe you know. <laughs> Shout out to Ben on the phone. Connor wants to come, you know. <laughs> he said it the best. Connor wants to come. I'm coming. Uh, so, you know, Poirier could sit back and counter him. Now, whether that works or not, the point is is that if he does that, that's a lower pace approach. And I think Connor's gas tank will be just fine in that. Then it'll become tactics and chess at that. It's not attrition at that point, right? You know, and he's going to have to really turn it around and step on it late if he survives playing that game, right? So there's a lot of intangibles there that have kind of made me step off the gas um, on the uh, under 1.5. That I know is going to be a popular play because it's a plus money angle. Um, so there's probably better angles here. Uh, check the uh, line movement MMA betting sheet that's dropping. I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about those. I admittedly don't have any offhand right now because I'm honestly probably staying away from this if the line keeps dropping back to earth on mcgregor maybe i put him in a for fun parlay if i'm doing well maybe you know parlay my main card picks like i do but like aside from something so stupid small and insignificant i'm honestly probably just gonna stay away from this damn main event to be honest so um do what you will uh, i don't blame you if you went heavy on mcgregor i see him winning the fight i don't particularly feel like playing the chalk um on it because i'm not that Big of a player, especially since my bank rolls are always at its lowest at the beginning of the rear uh, of the year. Because ideally, and thankfully, this year was the case. Um, I cash out my accounts um, at the end of the year, right? So I'm a little more conservative in my build back in this beginning. So um, that's kind of where I'm at. That doesn't mean it has to be where you're at, uh, because I do think the money line honestly is the best. Money line McGregor is honestly the best. Your gun in my head. That's the best bet for this because it's going to cover all those intangibles if it does go long. Where I give. McGregor, better chance than maybe even his supporters do. So there's that. Michael Chandler, plus 120 underdog now, even though I didn't get him for that or see him for that recently. <laughs> um, and uh, Dan Hooker, minus 140. Obviously, that statement, plus if you know me, my bias. I'm going to be picking Michael Chandler here. I did play him, but I have to state my bias. Um, not buddy-buddy with him or anything like that. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, But, like, uh, 
yeah, man, I've known the dude for a minute, you know. Uh, obviously, he lives and trains in a complete different part of the world now, or country now. But uh dude came up through Extreme Couture before he signed the Bellator contract. I remember having that conversation with him on the mat with some coaches. You know, seeing what he was going to do next. He wanted to fight early. He didn't want to wait for that Bellator tournament. I didn't think he was going to do it by the sign of that conversation. He ended up deciding to wait. Ended up being the right choice because he ended up being Eddie Alvarez, lest we forget. Had some great fights there over in Bellator. Has this weird part of his career where maybe it was a stylistic matchup against Will Brooks. That's the weird thing, right? The two highest level guys he beat, they came over to the UFC. One became champion, the other fizzled out hard. Um, now, there seemed, I don't want to speculate, but there seemed to be some mental and a lot of outside the cage things to go on with Will Brooks fizzing out. That being said, you can't take away what our eyes saw when those two met. I'm not defending that. I'm not saying it doesn't count. It certainly does. But what I will say um, is that you got to keep in mind that was at a a, you know, Chandler was still young at that time. It was at a different time of his career. And if you notice, his boxing dramatically went down when he went over to Alliance MMA. That's not a shot at Alliance MMA. A lot of great wrestling coaches that they had there at the time. Rest in peace, Brian Keck, who came from Extreme Couture, who I trained under, as well as Neil Melanson, uh, who was there uh, at the time. Um, and that's why I would go down to Alliance with a group of uh, guys from Extreme Couture other competitors and we would go down there and train Wednesday pro practices or weekend trips whenever we could and um, but yeah and as many good guys as are there really can't think of a striking coach that's been associated with Alliance in May Kenya and I'm not shitting it's a great gym but the point is that's for a reason and when you saw the striking deterioration from Gil Martinez Extreme Couture where Chandler was rolling under his crosses in that Bellator tournament run to his early title run, he was taking a lot of damage. That, that low-handed style, Eddie Alvarez rematch, which he still could have won, right? Um, to obviously the Will Brooks fight. And then he like looks like he gray-mated himself. Like he does like a hip toss and then he, he hits his head on the mat, but he comes up so fast and the camera doesn't get an angle on his eyes. And Will Brooks hits him with two right hands so shortly after. It's hard to reconstruct, and, and uh, you know, decipher and speculate more what happened. But yeah, I think it's that weird stoppage, right? And he moves to South Florida um, after that. He's been there for about four or five years now, and his fundamentals have quietly been getting better. So I just really wanted to make that note. Now, does that mean he's, he's got the better chin or the better striking? No. Hooker's got the better striking, the more disreverse striking, the better chin. He's more likely to win by knockout here. I give him all those check boxes. I have no issue with Dan Hooker being the favorite. I get it. I agree with the line being as tight as it is. However, even though that knee up the middle everyone's calling for for good reason could be there, I think that Michael Chandler um, can still wrestle. Hooker, he throws him for not with knockout intent. But I wish he threw him more like a Donald Cerrone checking fashion because with the height differential here and how short Chandler is, I think the Cerrone check knees would eat him up all day. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised like if a more prime Cerrone were to beat Michael Chandler between his guard game and those check knees. Um, you know, uh, to be honest, but... Chandler also has knockout bombs, especially if a guy is waiting for a level change. Or change, right? Jesus, dog brownie just jumped in here as I'm recording. Off, brownie, off. Uh, sorry about that. It's a fucking madhouse. Um, but yeah, uh, fucking sorry guys, you get me to get into the week and I'm all fucking out of it and. Everybody is, man. I mean, these McGregor weeks, I think they, they just kind of wear out everybody. You can tell their psyche. Some worse than others. I know past ones have worn me out worse. But, yeah, what the fuck are we talking about? Hooker and Chandler. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think that, that Donald Cerrone would do well. Uh, and uh, I don't know why I'm saying that. The fuck? I'm, I'm picking Chandler here to wrestle for three rounds. Um, City Kickboxing's done better at wrestling. Uh, they should be getting credit for that, but yeah. 
I'm going to go with Chandler. All right. Um, next fight, Jessica I plus 100. Joanne Calderwood minus 120. I think I submitted Calderwood for my staff picks, and I ended up changing to Jessica I. Um, just think Joanne Calderwood starts too slow. Her defense still isn't there. She's just getting hit with right hands all day. Um, big fan of was a big fan of JoJo pre tough, you know, um, back in the day. But yeah, I don't think she submits Jessica. I don't think Jessica submits her. But Jessica will have the wrestling edge there. And even though if you're one of those people who just break down fights by just looking at the strike rate <laughs> stats, and you don't actually, you know, and just kind of go off of that, like you're gonna be disappointed because they actually. Um, have a very similar output. If not, I would give Jessica I the advantage because that sample size is skewed with a bunch of Jessica I's 135 fights where she was on a big losing streak and her defense was against bad stylistic matchups and much bigger women who were holding her down. So that really muted a lot of her striking sample size. Again, sample size, folks. Sample size and stylistic matchups. Something you need to keep in mind, always. And... Um, you know, you look at against, like, girls like Viviana Araujo, and look how good, you know, she's been. Like, she was able to beat her, and if you go back and watch it, like, she was able to keep pace with her, whether you, you know, regardless of what you think of Jessica or that performance. So, I will go with her here, but it, it's it's obviously reluctant. It should be reluctant no matter what side you pick on this fight. I'm staying away from it betting-wise. Uh, and I will note that my man Eric Nixick will not be in Jessica I's corner for this one. He will be in Brad Tavares' corner, who we'll get to. Um, but I don't believe he's a part of the corner team when I spoke to him. So take that for what you will, um, you know, as far as that goes, uh, which would obviously make me any co any corner that Eric I'm obviously more confident in. Uh, I'm not saying it's going to mean Jessica is going to win or lose here because of it. I mean, I'm still picking her for what that's worth. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm just saying um, uh, my man Eric Nixick, uh, he won't I'm pretty sure he won't be in that corner so do not be surprised um, but I will take I uh, Otman Azatar and Favola is still listed but it's going to be Favola Saryukin I basically think Saryukin is going to wrestle him um, and uh, he can kickbox him too if he wants to because uh, he's improved there I'm glad that Nasrat Hackbrass fight's not going to happen because I was going to pick Saryukin but say there's a dogger pass because I'm um, Nazrat speed and um, the fight was going to play out a lot closer than that line was um, but yeah uh, do, 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 do. Amanda Hibas minus 310 Marina Rodriguez plus 255 Rodriguez is pretty much just, just striking so I, I faded her before so against Rebos like to see the lines inflated plus Hibas getting the push and her persona and her interviews it's great it's lovable it's all good taking Rebos here uh, Mahmoud Meredov, minus 145. Andrew Sanchez, plus 125. Um, yeah, I'm surprised this line is getting tighter, if anything. I uh, I like um, I like Mahmoud here. Uh, I, maybe it's a recency bias, because Mahmoud has not fought in over a year, and he's coming in on short notice. Whereas Andrew Sanchez coming off of a big highlight reel knockout that no one expected him to get, and he's more of a known quantity from a, a popular respected gym in TriStar, maybe that's why. Um, I would expect people to be fading Sanchez, and nothing against Sanchez. I like Sanchez, man. You know, uh, seems like my kind of guy. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, and and he really has been improving. You got to give him credit. And his cardio doesn't seem to be dropping off of a cliff. Although, I, I do still worry about him in higher-paced matchups. That being said, I feel like he's going to give Mahmoud Muradov the matchup he wants. The big cage will definitely favor Mahmoud um, because it will um, he'll be able to dance around more and use his boxing. And he's a well-rounded guy. He doesn't have all this, like, he, at least he doesn't list a lot of his experience on his bio. He kind of just says that he's well-rounded and whatnot, and this and that. And he does look really well-rounded, you know. Um, the wrestling exchanges that he has gotten into, as brief as they were, like going back to watch the Trevor Smith fights and whatnot, um, I do like how he conducts himself. Uh, and then you see how he's able to take the back of, you know, of guys and transition and float. Like, this guy's got chops all around, but he doesn't lean on it. He plays it safe. He can get the knockouts in the third round. He can cruise to a decision. And as we've seen with Sanchez and a lot of TriStar fighters, it's like... 
that jab and their version of ring generalship. And instead of it went from well-timed takedowns to leg locks, uh, the, you know, from the basic stereotypes of a tri-star fighter. And so we saw those leg locks and other submissions. They don't work for you too great, whether you're McDonald's or Breeze there, right? Uh, and I know those guys have both also branched off into their own camps as well, so I, I want to be fair there. However, Sanchez has definitely fallen to the jabbing thing, and I don't like that when you're going in the big cage against a guy who does that game better than you, um, who's probably very liked in the area. Seems like a very well-connected guy. I'm not talking about just the money way with other stuff. You know, you look at this guy, he's getting freaking Mercedes-Benzes for when he wins fights. I'm pretty sure I picked him against Kevin Holland, but I know I waffled on that fight. But the fact that I waffled on him over Kevin Holland in Kevin Holland's form that he was in, yeah, I think he should be beating Andrew Sanchez here. Um, the guy looks in shape. I don't even think it was him that got the COVID test for that withdrawal to Holland fight, by the way. I'm pretty sure it was his corner. Um, the guy looks like he's been in shape and, and training ever since. Got some rounds up in the States. Um, one of his main training partners is a wrestler, Carlos Vemola, who looks like he's been taking all the steroids in the world. Um, Carlos Vemola, of course, guy I've, I've talked about a lot here on this podcast. He used to fight in the UFC. Um, so he's getting those wrestling looks as well. So I, I like Muradov here. And uh, I hit him at minus 135 in one book and minus 140 in another. Um, he looks like he's treading upwards now, minus 140, minus 145. Uh, all right, Brad Tavares, minus 125. Carlos Jr., plus 105. I was hoping this one's going to flip, but I ended up pulling the trigger at Brad Tavares, minus 25. Full disclosure, obviously biased toward both Brad and obviously toward my man Eric, who will be in that corner against Carlos Jr. Uh, both are coming off layoffs, uh, which isn't terrible, really, for either guy, I guess, because they both have uh, Tavares more so because they're MMA miles as opposed to jujitsu miles. <laughs> Um, but luckily for Brad, even if his chin is not as strong as, you know, or things, you know, man, you get older, you fight more. I mean, it does happen. I can understand if people are worried about that after seeing what happened in the Shabazian, but I don't think you got to worry about that with Carlos Jr. here. He, he's not known for that. He doesn't have that power. Doesn't really sit down on his shots. He's just going to want to get it to the ground and he's got the big cage and a guy who knows how to use the cage, even if he is able to get Brad to the cage, even a juiced-up Kyle Magalhaes, you know, guy who trains with Glover Teixeira, massive top guy, Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt accolades of his own, not as dangerous as Carlos Jr., um, but that guy couldn't get anything done against the cage, and that was like a Brad Tavares, who I believe was secretly hurt, because speaking of Eric, him and Eric were in that fall, the elevator fall, remember that? That was at UFC 203 card, Stipe versus Overeem, the, the Stipe tap card. Remember the elevator accident? Brad was in that. So he had like some like, I think like some like discs and stuff. He had to like lie to get cleared just, just to go to that fight. Um, you know, his grappling's always been there. Like he is a grappling, I know he's like, you know, he's like, oh, decision grind, uh, strike grinder. Like, nah, man, the guy was like more of a transitional grappler, cage wrestler and like scramble, ground and pound, uh, even get submissions, take a back. Like, that was more Brad's game coming off of tough and, like, earlier Tavares. Like, um, but I think the more disciplined Tavares that we see him develop into really serves him well in this matchup. Uh, I think he can make it really not fun, but I think he could take it clearly. Um, so I'm going to go with Tavares. I don't think Carlos Jr. I think Carlos Jr. at best can maybe get him down once in this fight and then we'll have to take his back and then at best may ride up the round and, and get one round but i don't even know if he gets that much um so I, I'm, I'm biased you don't have to follow me off this cliff folks admitting my bias but i'm i'm on i'm picking and i'm on tavares here um kind of changed my opinion on this one sarah mcmahon minus 130 juliana plus 110 i think i was probably leaning toward opinion just because of McMahon always falling towards sub, and you're like, oh, that's Pena's thing. But then you're like, oh, wait, Pena's giving guillotines now. She's doing what everyone accuses McMahon of doing, and she's doing it to girls that are less submission savvy. You know what I'm saying? Um, so I'm going to go with Sarah McMahon here. I think it's going to be a very boring decision. And if it goes anywhere lower than minus 130, I may actually take a stab on Sarah Moneyline here, especially with all these fights falling out, and I'm not liking parlay stuff. 
Uh, speaking of parlay pieces, Khalil Roundtree, I think he was a 0.5 pounds over, minus 340. Pragnell, plus 280. I'm obviously biased toward Khalil. I'm obviously picking Khalil here. But I'm hesitant to play him um, even before the weigh-in thing because it's never good when a guy misses that close. It's like, boy, you're that close, man. Come on, what, what's going on there? And then, you know, is he checked out? Is he ready to just call it call it in? Because didn't he say this, he only wants one more fight or whatever? Or ready to? I, I don't know, man. It's hard to tell where he's at when, when, when Khalil's turned on and tuned in. Dude, he's one of the most dangerous people in the world, right? Um, but it's always hard to know where he's at. So that's the worry here. But I will pick Roundtree by knockout. That's just a big price tag. Um, Mazvar, uh, Mavsar Evloev, minus 550 versus Nick Lentz, plus 425. Obviously, I'm taking Evloev here. I'm big and high on his skills. Uh, and those of you who know me know I'm not the biggest Nick Lentz fan. Um, we'll just leave it at that. Uh, but, yeah, I like Evloev. Nick Lentz does have a really good guillotine. Um, but Evloev, as he showed in that Mike Grundy fight, this guy will fight for your fucking money um, to get out of those things. Uh, and he's the better scrambler and better wrestler than Nick Lentz. Also the better striker. Really like it. This guy reminds me of just like a, a, a Russian Frankie Edgar, you know? Mavsar Evloev, Russian Frankie Edgar. So he's super juiced. I would love to play him still just because I would just love to have money against Nick Lentz, but it's really juiced, so what do you know? Um, Zalgash Jumagulov, a.k.a. Kazakh Jim Norton, minus 115. Amir Albazi, minus 105. Watched a little more on Albazi. I like me some Albazi, man. I can see why... Uh, I can see why... Check out the big brain on Brad. My man Brad Tashchuk likes him as well. Um... And I've heard other people speak highly of this guy even before his last fight. Only a purple belt, but it's like he's one of those like Charles Oliveira uh, purple belts. By the way, it's Chucky Olives, Dan Hooker. Dan Hooker follows me on Twitter. I don't know if he listens to this podcast. I tried to get him on this podcast before, actually. Um, I didn't try very hard. <laughs> and probably not the right way, but uh, if you're listening, Dan, A, I'm sorry for picking against you. B, uh, it's Chucky Olives, and it's the MMA analysis that, that came up with. He had to credit that name for. Um, <clears throat> but I like Albazi too, man. He's like he's got that Charles Oliveira purple belt. He's got a bunch of like credentials and jiu-jitsu credentials and all that stuff. So, um, but his boxing's not bad either, and neither is his wrestling. You know, trains London shoot fighters as um, uh, his main gym. Uh, or Zalga Shumagulov will switch stances. He doesn't list any wrestling stuff, but like he looks like he can wrestle. Obviously, wrestling's a big part of that area. But he looks like just a messy fighter, and he gets decisions he's not supposed to get. So maybe he does that here. He's known for that. An FNG. But, um, oh my God, did his balls get assaulted by Paiva in the last fight. Um, but I think Albazi actually can sub him. Um, Zalgas is only one submission is submission of punches. Uh, and uh, granted, he's never been submitted, but um, I think that was a matchup thing. You know, he's fighting like guys like Nam or Ali Bagoff, like boxer guys like, you know, Paiva, who's got good jiu-jitsu, but he's not like, he's a big wrestler, right? So um, I think Albazi can take him down and sub this guy. Um, good on you if you're to get plus money on Albazi. That, to me, was the best angle on this fight. Ugh. But I'm, I, I, I sprinkled on the sub for plus 550 to uh, neighborhood, I believe, in both houses that I play. Um, just for fun to have some action on that. So, yeah. All right. Recapping. Taking Conor McGregor over Dustin Poirier. Tick toys. Taking Michael Chandler or Chandler. Uh, <laughs> shout out to my man Ryan Wagner. At Ryan Wagner, maybe one of the best um, MMA analysts out there. It's all love, but yeah, I'm, I love his, his Chandler pronunciation is stuck in my head. Taking Chandler over Hooker. Taking uh, I, here we go, evil. Here we go. We're called her with Jesus Christ. Taking, um, not, uh, tar, you can over steamroller. Taking uh, Amanda Hibas over Marina Rodriguez. Taking Mahmoud Muradov over Andrew Sanchez. Taking... Brad Tavares over Antonio Carlos Jr. Hopefully Hawaii can end on a good note. Started on a good note this fight on stretch. We'll see. Sarah McMahon taking her over Juliana Pena. Taking Khalil Roundtree over Marcin Prakniao. Taking Mavsar Ivloev over Nick Lentz. Taking Amir Albazi over Zalgas Jumagulov. Nothing parlay-wise I feel uh, super strong about. 
Um, oh, by the way, Marina Rodriguez bio. She's <laughs> my favorite. She has my favorite Muay Thai ranking, which is dark blue with a black tip. Which, by the way, if you also sport a dark blue with a black tip, you should probably see a doctor. Um, straight plays. I'm taking <laughs> Mahmoud Muradov. I'm laying the chalk there. 1.5 units. Uh, 1.5 to get another comeback as well on Brad Tavares. Laying some chalk there. Uh, but then I also uh, put some dog money. Again, it's a little biased as well, but some dog money on Chandler. Plus 110. Um, I got him for, even though I'm seeing him at plus 120 at some houses. Uh, and then props. I took Albazi by sub, plus 550, and I haven't jumped on anything else just quite yet, but I wanted to get this to you. Um, fights to avoid. Nothing really, man. If you want to see something, you go ahead and play it. I kind of warned you on what you got to be warned about. Uh, so good luck on your picks and plays. Sorry if the energy was... It was a low energy podcast here, Dad. Very low energy. Uh, sorry if I was very low, low energy. Uh, yeah, please forgive me and forgive everybody this week. It's been a crazy week, but I love you guys. I wish... And gals. I genuinely wish you the best, win or lose. Uh, one, of the, one of the few betting podcasts that probably say that, but I don't care. I'm going to try to spread the positivity uh, good luck on your picks and plays, and always protect your nest.